Welcome to the Optimizing Brains and Bodies podcast. This podcast is part of a series of online learning tools that Dr. Kristen Allett is developing for people who want to have more energy and mental clarity in general, and specifically for improving health and mental wellness. Dr. Kristen Allett is a naturopathic physician in Tacoma, Washington. She has dedicated her practice to providing non-pharmaceutical interventions for depression, anxiety, addiction, sugar cravings, and other mental health concerns. And I'm Natasha Duarte, a longtime friend of Dr. Allett's and a consultant for small businesses and nonprofits, specializing in communication, strategic planning, and developing multiple revenue streams. So today we're going to just chat about how full is your bucket and... And I think this is really important for ourselves as well as the people we work with um, because one of the things that is not recognized is that our brain and thus our mind has limits. We know that our body has limits because probably if somebody said, hey, Natasha, I want you to run a marathon tomorrow, you would say... Not a chance. (laughs) You'd have to pick me up off the the street. Right? You understand that you have physical limits. But for some reason, we we don't think about our brain and our mind having physical limits. And, And it is becoming more and more clear at the research that, that there are physical limits to what our brain can deal with. And so one of the things that I often talk to uh, overwhelmed patients is like, how full are your buckets? And so I thought we'd do a connectors meeting on that. For this connectors meeting, I just wanted to remind people that this is educational, it is not medical, and you should seek support or help those who you connect with to seek support. I'm going to ask you to take a few minutes just think of like the categories of your buckets that you're responsible for. And maybe you have more than seven buckets, that's fine. And then like how many things are in that actual bucket? It's kind of interesting to fill out the lists. Everybody's going to do it a little, little differently. Like there's no right or wrong on this, but it's interesting to know how many buckets you have. You know, it's kind of like when you're in college, you know, you knew how many classes you had and how many assignments you're going and and um, when I was in medical school, we had 13 classes, and I, and I couldn't always name all the classes because I didn't have enough fingers. And <laughs> then I would, get to the, I would get to the my ninth finger, and I would be just like, I have four more. <laughs> I don't know what they are. And it was a sign of how big my buckets are. So for this exercise, I wrote out what my current buckets are. So I have wedding, and I think there's about five things in there, and then this online class stuff, there's three, and then my clinical practice, I got that kind of pinned down a little, and I got two little things I got to do, and I'm closing my Seattle practice, that's kind of big, there's some four things, and then I'm doing lots of therapy, and I have a new family to participate in there, and then self-care, and for me, self-care is food, sleep, exercise, relax. And I'm overly full right now, which is why I'm doing this connectors meeting. So my buckets are super full. And the other thing that's happening is I have several important things that are waiting to fill buckets, like starting a new practice and exploring. Because I moved, I've been, I can't, I'm not connected to my spiritual group. And there's a women's group that I want to do, and oh, now now I can do gardening. And one of the things that's most expensive to our brain 
is keeping what we're responsible for in, in the front of our minds, right? And we can hear that in the emotional clutter of our brains of like, oh, I got to take care of that, and I got to take care of that, and I don't know. Any, anybody ever have 3 a.m. committee meetings? For my committee meetings, it's either the to-do list or an emotional relationship that needs some rearranging. Those things are really expensive to keep in our forefront. And the more we can kind of externalize them and make them something we're responding to rather than reacting to, uh, the better it is. And where I really see this work uh, play out is in business. Businesses are actually pretty smart uh, in terms of neurobiology because because there's the profit margin that, that they're working at. And they are also incredibly dumb when it comes to brain stuff. So, you know, you have to pick and choose that stuff. But, but I, I thought that we would talk about that. And so often a starting place with my patients is that I will draw out the buckets and say, what are your buckets that you're responsible for? Because they're often coming into my office because of their physical health or mental health. And if I can't get a bucket in order for them to change their diet or change their exercise or do some self-care, nothing's going to change. Like I have to be able to get a bucket. And what I explain to them is, is often that self-care in terms of food, sleep, exercise are things that expand the size of your buckets so that you can, you have more capacity. I was talking to a woman earlier this week who is, is doing construction on her house, which is filling her buckets. She is very near diabetes. And I was like, you know, the first bucket needs to be that you need to go find a fitness trainer and work out because by the time the house is done, you will have full-blown diabetes. And so, so we work to kind of rearrange the bucket priorities to, to kind of get this going. So this is a useful tool in just helping people see how much is going on in their lives and how they're trying to keep it in their heads. So this is a nice place to start with people but because I, I wanted to kind of fill out uh, the conversation a little and talk about sort of what are what are our core limits. In terms of having core inner people, what we find is that um, people generally have three to five core inner people. And these are people that you totally trust. You can tell anything to them. They're probably most intimate in your life, but not always. One of the st really sad statistics about this inner core is They've been studying this um, since like the early 1930s or something like that when they survey people and say how many people are, are in your inner core that you're, you know, trust the most. And for a long time it was really stable three. It was kind of the mean average. And recently it has dropped to like 1.2 because we're just so disconnected. Um, but what I find in my office is people think that other people, their inner core is like 10, that they, you know, why don't they have more 
close friends that they can trust and they can say anything to. And I'm like, wow, you've got two people, which you're, means you're head of the current curve and, you know, and you're working on a third person. Like, that's awesome. And then there's usually a group of people who you do maybe work with or you do two or three things or you just know that you can talk to them about everything but, you know, politics or everything but kids or whatever it is. And, you know, but pretty trusted or business looks at it in terms of work teams, like how to be really efficient but have enough diversity and interest. It tends to be five to 12 is sort of the working working numbers. The next number is pretty interesting is how many people can you can you have a reciprocal relationship? This is sort of like a tribal relationship with where you are all interacting, maybe not in an int- intimate way, but reliant on each other. And that number tends to be about 150 to 160. Uh, there's several companies that limit the building to 160 and then go build another building because when it gets too big, we get overwhelmed. We have seven buckets that what what studies show is we kind of categorize things into seven buckets. Somebody with a learning disability, uh, you know, when tested, I have three buckets and I just pretend to have seven buckets. And, And I can do it intellectually, but I'm not doing it emotionally. Emotionally, I always have my top three buckets and that's it. And th- this is just how you categorize things. And the better you can clump things together, the easier we can deal with it. Um, but then generally we have three types of action. Just because we have seven buckets or 150 people in our lives, really in terms of behavior, we have three actions. We have waiting, doing, and done. And sometimes... when people are overwhelmed with the information and the amount of things that they have to get done, understanding those limits and and asking people where the pressure is coming from. So a few years ago, um, I had a full clinical practice. I had 50 people on a monthly basis coming through my office. And although that wasn't a reciprocal relationship, it was a pretty intense emotional relationship. And then I was helping to manage 65 adults at a dojo, and now I'm at 110 people, and then I have about 20 friends, and I was like, oh, now I understand why I'm full, right? Because my team was full. And so when I started chunking that into smaller bites and just naming that there was the dojo, there are my friends and their clients rather than this enormous mass of people, like then I could attend to them a little better. There's sub buckets for sure. And, um, but, but knowing how many sub buckets you can handle is really important. And also being clear on what you're doing here in terms of action piece. Just be, you can add a lot of things to the buckets, but what is the action piece? And so I, I wanted to talk a little today about different tools to break those down. Um, first of all, get it out of your head and visualize it if you can, but make it real. Uh, I was listening to an NPR article about this guy who went to the Amazon to hang out with one of the most remote tribes and because it's on the equator, they have 12 hours of sun and they have 12 hours of darkness. And 
when you, when the sun goes down, like you get into your hammock because you don't want things to bite you like snakes and stuff like that. And so you just lay in your hammock and they all hung their hammocks to close together. And then they started talking about their day and, and they would be like, Oh, I found, I found a beehive today with honey in it. And, and the beehive is here. And then they would say, I was wandering along this place. Remember that place? And I found a beehive and, and they would say the same information about 10 times, seven to 10 times. And, and at first he thought that was kind of interesting because there was all this chatter. And then his modern brain was like, why are you telling the same story seven times? Like we've heard it. We know where the freaking beehive is. But then as he was there longer, what he realized is, is that they were, that, that the, part of what was happening is they were passing information along and encoding it. Right, because if you don't have paper to encode things, you you offload it into your tribal members. Natasha did the Peace Corps. Did you see anything like this? Like, how did they deal with their buckets in Africa? Do you have any comments on this? Yeah, I I didn't experience anything quite like that, but they definitely had uh, kids, the fields the, you know, cooking, like they, it was pretty chunked into specific and they had, you know, and different people in my village did very different tasks. So it was sort of like there were, uh, you know, collectively they had the, all the buckets covered, but they had groups of people who specialized in different yeah. buckets. Yeah. 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 Nice. Mm -hmm. I mean, if somebody's in my office, then they're struggling. Like, I don't, I don't care people how people do it when they're not struggling. But if they're struggling, like, I really try and get them to visualize it. I have big post-it board, and I have colored pens, and we just start putting it on the big post-it board. Making it real uh, versus virtual is really important. And often for the older generations, uh, I see that it really has to start on paper and then maybe can be converted into some app on our phones, but not always. Sometimes the millennials, because they're the first generation where really they were doing virtual language and organizing before they were even speaking. Sometimes they can do it in their head. Sometimes they think they should be able to do it in their head, and they do a lot better when they put it on paper. And so kind of challenging that. And the proof is, does it work? You know, it's not what you want it to be. It's can you, can you lower the chaos? Can you get things done? Uh, we'll talk about limiting your to-do list and how to do that. And then I, I have to do different systems, and we'll talk about it. Sometimes people find a system and they can stick to it. I have finally, after nearly 50 years, come to the realization that I do better when I'm Organ I like to organize things a little differently, um, and so now I have a solution on how to do that without reinventing the wheel every single time, which is helping a lot. So we have a couple comments um, oh, good, that good. Um, they do drawings, yeah, um, which is a great way to sort of visualize. Um, I do a lot of mind maps now, um, which is sort of yeah. a new tool for me, which I've found helpful. And another person says that they just recently learned about Kanban walls, and she now has a wall in her home office divided with blue painter's tape, which is a great idea I hadn't thought of. 
into seven columns. So backlog this week, today, right now, waiting and done, and using sticky notes to, to populate those columns. That is a great lead-in to what some of the things we're going to talk about. I love Kanban boards, and they're really helpful. And uh, music, right. And some, sometimes it's also finding a different platform to organize information on, because music's one of the things that, that is both left and right brain. And so uh, in terms of stimulating both, and so that I think for some people creates a bigger whiteboard because we're in such dominantly left brain world that we need things that draw us into the sensory world, which is why I like externalizing our to-do list. So Kanban board. The most simple version is to-do or backlog or, you know, there's lots of different names. Doing is like what, for me, is what I have taken any kind of action on. So it's no longer just this thought that I've actually taken action on it, and so I put it in the doing column. And, uh, and then there is just such great pleasure on the done list. And I, sometimes combo boards have worked great for me. Sometimes they haven't. I, for me, I learned something new about myself. So with the move, I ha have my home and I have an office, but I'm not in my office every day, And but I put a Kanban board up. And so every time I go into the office, I update it. And it gives me such pleasure to update it because I get to move some things into the done category, some things out of the to-do list into the doing list. And it also helps me uh, notice that I may need to pull something onto the to-do list that, that I've forgotten to do, or I need to put something back into the to-do list because it's not a priority right now. And the most important thing doing an external compound board is, is that I have a stack of three-by-three post-its that when there's something that I need to do, I just write it on the post-it, and then when I get to the office, I just stick it in the backlog, and, and I just fill up my backlog. And then I, I don't have to be like, oh, like I have to send the shoes back to Amazon. I have to send the shoes back to Amazon. It's there. And I don't have to worry about hanging on to it. The lists have never, never worked for some people, and some people... Uh, this feels like a list. I find that uh, there are a lot of people who come through my office and they will actually open up their list. It's a full sheet of paper of lists and they check things off. And the, pr the problem with just doing lists, like I do lists for sure, I do lists for the day, but if you do long lists, you lose the pleasure of getting it done because then people just make another long list and make another long list and make another long list. And so, so then they just have a piece of paper that they resent and then they stop using it altogether or it, it, you know, it's, it's not a dynamic enough thing. And back on the Kanban board, just uh, an interesting to note the, the difference of keeping things vertical or on the, you know, like on a wall and, and uh -huh. visible versus like on a horizontal desk where things can get, you know, covered or forgotten. So, you know, using yeah. the combination of 
<clears throat> this larger planning list and, and sort of a bigger picture with the daily lists or smaller lists. And I think it's also significant on the Kanban board that it's horizontal in terms of process versus vertical, where our written to-do list tends to be vertical. And so we have the sense of being buried versus moving forward. Mm. So the other thing that I find really helpful in terms of tracking things, and we did a connectors meeting on this earlier, is to acknowledge where it is in the cycle. On the to-do or backlog is usually a germination stage for me. And then once I have put some energy into it, I've gotten it out of sort of the poverty trap or the funding trap of time or money or energy, and I'm starting to birth it. Uh, and then it, it may sit for a while, like, you know, working on my relationships in, in this new family. Like, that's something that's probably never going to be in the done category, right? But there'll be smaller tasks that I'm working on. But acknowledging where something is on the learning cycle, because uh, what I see with great regularity is that people... Uh, one, don't want to begin something new. So if you're suggesting that they need to do a volunteer job or maybe get a new job or start a new job, like they don't, they don't want to be a beginner because they don't like not being an expert. And so they, they won't start. Um, and using the echo cycle kind of gives them a place to understand where, they, where they're starting and where they are in the cycle. And then giving them permission uh, when they add a new thing that something probably needs to go through creative destruction. Because what, there's a lot of people who just say yes and they don't think about what needs to come out of a bucket for that yes to happen. Um, does anybody have any other systems that help them sort of think about um, how they're externally managing their buckets? I definitely go through systems. Like I heavily yeah. use lists for a long time and then they just sort of stopped working for me and I was like at a loss. Um, I've also used like the multiple levels of inboxes for different right. things. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's not unusual to try new things. Coming into acceptance that probably every year I need to change how I manage my, my buckets uh, just so that it feels fresh. But my new way of doing that is to go to Kickstarter uh, because there is almost always some group building out a new way of managing things. So this was my last year's planner. And and what I've learned is that it's helpful for me to have my calendar, and then it's helpful for me to have another book or a Kanban board or all of the above um, to manage what I'm doing. So this is like what I will get done and my goals because having a due date is not having a plan. And I need a plan about what steps I'm going to take and what my goals are and then do they tie in. I really like this because it tied into my annual goals, my monthly goals, uh, last week's progress and a 30-day challenge. This was a really nice book. And they're all organized a little differently, but they're all helping, helping me externalize my, my project lists.
Uh, we have some more comments. Um, one person yeah. says they put things on a shelf until they have inspiration to work on them. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And then another comment is usually doing a periodic macro dump and then drawing from it to build daily lists. I do that yeah. a lot as well. I call it a brain dump where I just, you know, get out a big piece of paper and just write down everything and then sort it out later. Um, yeah. Often with highlighter, different color highlighters or markers or something if, I, if I'm right. feeling really overwhelmed in my head. Right. Yeah. And part, part of that is always to have a category of like, what am I not going to do? I'll give you a link to a new system that I'm working with called Liberating Structures. And it has, it's for working with groups, but it works great with, um, with individuals. And, and for you to, to, to do something, you have to stop doing other things. This Chinese medicine is very clear about this. It's kind of funny in Chinese medicine all beginnings start with the large intestine because you have to clear out what's no longer needed. <laughs> like, so, you know, keeping in mind what you're not going to do. So when I went to Bastyr for school, I remember I, I did a lot of meditation about going to school because taking 13 classes as a newly diagnosed dyslexic just seemed crazy. And so, you know, I was like, okay, what do I need to get through that? And after some meditation and consultation with my mentors, one of the things that I realized is that when I go to school, I get involved in sort of fixing things. And, and so my practice was to not get involved. Like, just go to my classes, just do my work, hang out with, have friends. But, you know, I tended to get involved in student government or, you know, something like that. And so that was my practice, and the entire time that I was school at school was to not get involved, um, because I just got sucked in. Being clear about what you need to not do, and uh, for me in this really busy time, one of the things that I'm really trying not to do is be much more ahead of two or three days, like. Just manage the next two or three days. Just manage the next two or three days. And, and for a while, that made me really anxious. But like for those of you who know that I have a practice in Seattle and I'll be starting a new practice in Tacoma, like I am not starting my new practice until June. Oh, this is a great comment. I like the five-minute journal. Three things to be grateful for. Today's three priorities, one or two affirmations, thinking about a new habit. Today's fun. One similar to this that, that's, that I also hand out with my patients as, as an end-of-day review, the flower meditation. So you, so you have roots, you have a stem, you have a thorn, and you have flowers. And uh, the roots are how you got nourished, and so you name two or three things that nourished you today. Then the stem is growth. Uh, how you grew, like what was a stretch, what helped you mature into to this next phase of yourself. Thorn, we all understand thorns, like what do you want to bitch about, um, or what hurt, or what was, you know, what was not a happy moment, and naming that. And then the blooms, like what were the gifts. And, and the thing that I love about doing this meditation at the end of the day is, I think it's pretty common that 
if somebody backs into your car and that becomes the story of the day and and you miss that so the person was really kind and people helped you and uh, and the sun was shining and so you didn't have to stand in the rain and all these other blooms that came along. And so the index card, flip it on the other side, three good things, things that you could have done better, epiphanies, efficiencies, better ways. Like, yeah, and I think doing a beginning of the day review and then the end of the day review is really important. When, um, when you look back historically at, at people who we know, they often did journaling. And one way of doing the journaling is just reviewing the day. Another way of or organizing that, that sort of if you're going to do a index card that I've had people do, is uh, particularly at meetings. So part of why we all have short-term memory problems is because it takes 20 minutes to encode what happened into our brain. And if we pick up our iPhone and there's something more emotionally powerful than what happened in the meeting, we will lose the details. But simply going through a meeting or your day and thinking about what you saw, smelled, tasted, felt, physically felt, emotionally felt, and just doing that checklist uh, will also help you organize your day. So what I'm going to ask is that as we wrap up that we name one thing that we're going to take from today either to think about it or put into action or share with somebody that you're like, this is something that I will try and hold on to and use. I really liked the idea of the sort of beginning and ending of the day check-ins. That's, yeah. you know, whether it's journaling or I'm not sure how, what form it'll take exactly, but I think that'll sort of help gather the stray thoughts in my head that I have been plagued with lately. Someone says, learning to become better at focusing and shifting focus. And uh, they're reading a new book, 2016 Transforming ADHD by Greg Crosby and Tanya Lippert. And your comment, or one of the comments about music, touched on an explanation in the book about engaging both sides of the brain in a deliberate way. So, Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. I love hearing how people are incorporating just the comments on, into, into their own deep practices. We're going to wrap up, but I so appreciate you coming. Have a fabulous day. Thank you so much.